Hello, it's been a long break, but the Funds Fanatic podcast is back with me, Gavin Lumsden, talking to the movers and shakers in the investment company's world. For the relaunch, I'm delighted to say I have a real big hitter with me, none other than Chris Mills, the almost legendary UK smaller companies investor uh, who's with me in the studio. Welcome to CityWire, Chris. Thank you so very much. Pleasure to be here. Great to see you. And um, you, Chris, you're the founder and chief executive of Harwood Capital. It's a London-based family-owned investment boutique with uh, around £2 billion under management, much of it in smaller UK companies, both on and off the stock market. Um, best known for running two investment trusts, North Atlantic Smaller Companies and Oryx International Growth. But Harwood also manages private equity and real estate funds for its investors and private clients. Um, and it lends to a growing businesses in the UK and Europe. Chris, does that sum up what you do at your firm? Um, yes, I think it sort of understates the team, though, to the extent that we've been very lucky to attract uh, Stuart Widdison and Ed, who run the Odyssey Investment Trust for us. And obviously, Richard Staveley joined recently. Um, and he now runs Rockwood Strategic. And it was very pleasing that uh, literally after the first year of joining us, he won the Best Fund Manager of the Year Award. So perhaps he should be here today. But what, we've had him in, well, no, we actually, we haven't. But I'll be happy to talk to him in, in the future. So, yeah, it's a good team you've got around you. And uh, you've also, I was going to ask you about the, the, the firm, but I may as well ask you now. You know, in addition, you've re- recently recruited um, Alex Illingworth from That's Artemis. correct, yes. So that's an interesting one because the other people, too, you mentioned are kind of, Investors, sort of in your mold, really investing in UK yes, smaller companies. Agree. Whereas uh, Alex um, had a great track record helping to run or co-managing the Midwind Investment Trust. He's a, a global growth fund, really, isn't it? Yes. Well, I think um, the the first point is that uh, we actually have clients who are global clients. Um, so he was actually joining a firm where he would be running tens of millions of pounds, not hundreds of millions of pounds, sadly, uh, from the get go. Uh, we are. Uh, certainly looking to expand his range of funds, possibly by acquiring other people's funds um, or grow it organically. And we certainly have every intention of building that team over the next few months. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, it seems like uh, your business is, starts to expand and grow after many years of kind of doing um well, doing what it always has done. Well, you're expanding I, I, now, are you? I, I kind of find that's just a little unfair. Um, you know, I think it's worth remembering I was the founder of J.O. Hamburg Cattle Management and the largest shareholder. And we certainly built that a lot over the 20 years that I was involved in that. Um, when I left, um, I was uh, caught with a whole bunch of um, non-competes. Uh, so uh, with Alan Durant and Richard Philbin, we uh, we started a business called Harwood Wealth, uh, which we built from pretty well nothing with the help of uh, another team. It's nearly five billion of funds under management. We sold that in 2019 uh, to Carlisle. So yes, we've been doing quite a lot. Uh, We've certainly been building and strengthening our private equity team during the period. Um, And, you know, we're a business, we reinvest 100% of our profits. So it's quite logical for us to grow as and when we see a good opportunity to bring in a, a good team. Okay, but you've been investing uh, since, since the mid-70s, and you've been running the businesses like this since uh, since the 80s. So you're not resting on your laurels. You, you're, I mean, you don't mind me saying so. I think you've reached uh, the 70s, So, um, but you've still got plenty to do, do you think? Um, well, I think the answer is that um, the investment process is, is an investment challenge. 
And my personal opinion is if you disappear off to the sunset and hang up your boots, you're not going to be much longer for this world. So the challenge of uh, working with clever people, uh, constantly learning new things, figuring out how to do things better, and, and hopefully passing down some of the experience to the team that I've accumulated over nearly 50 years working in the city um, makes it a very enjoyable thing for me and uh, frankly honestly don't consider it to be work it sounds like fun and also it's a family affair you've got three sons working with you in the business yes they all do all your children yeah they all three children yep Uh, they all do very different things which I think is probably a good idea because if they're all the same department I almost dread to think the consequences Uh, so Charlie Mills uh, runs our property side and is also responsible for the investments the firm makes for its own behalf um, Nicholas Mills, who did five years at working for Mario Gabelli in America, ending up as a, as a senior analyst and fund manager there, uh, came back five years ago and he's been with us now uh, at Harvard for nearly five years uh, with his principal responsibility being Oryx, although obviously reporting to me. And then Harry is, having spent five years at N1 Singer, um, is working uh, as the uh, junior in our private equity business. Uh, that's interesting. I didn't realise uh, Nicholas was um, the fund manager of Oryx, in effect, or number two to you. Well, he has day-to-day responsibility for monitoring all the companies. We obviously work together. Um, but obviously, um, you know, there's a number of his ideas. Um, and d- indeed, he uh, has sat on the board of three public companies now, uh, Oryx Investments, uh, Crestchick, which was taken over within a year of him joining the board, um, Niox, which uh, has done very well. Um, and the attraction of putting him on a board like Niox was that Ian Johnson is an outstanding uh, corporate leader. And the job that he's done at Niox is truly extraordinary. Um, the sales have gone from 32 million to say 40 million, but the profits have gone from a loss to sort of 13, 12, 13 million this year. Niox was a big positive feature of um, North Atlantic's uh, half-year results recently. Could you just uh, explain to the listeners what it does? Okay, Niox does phenotesting, which means absolutely nothing to all of you, I'm sure. Uh, what phenotesting basically is asthmatics have a level of nitrogen in, in their breath. And you have to measure that very accurately to enable you to uh, do the right medication. Um Phenotest, uh, Niox has about 95% of the phenotesting market, and that market has only been penetrated to the tune of about 6%. So it's a major growth opportunity, which actually we believe one day will be very valuable to a major farmer who can roll it out much more quickly. Um, the company's got no debt, about 13 million in cash, um, and thanks to Mr. Woodford's generosity, a 600 million tax loss. This, uh, say this more? Is, this is the this old is Neil Woodford. Neil yeah. Woodford, yes. Ah, oh, the old Circassia. Correct. Okay. So, um, and why are the tax losses? Because that's what the company managed to lose when uh, Woodford was a shareholder. And, you're in, and it can now take advantage yeah. of those. And then the other one he's on the board of is Hargreaves Services, uh, which again has just announced that it's going to sell off uh, its infrastructure assets which were on the books of very little and returned very significant sums to shareholders. So 
all the all the things that Nick has done so far have been building shareholder value, making sure shareholders or boards are aligned with shareholders. And actually, in the three cases I've just described, they are. Okay. And but that's a, not always the case. And I see from the website, he's a member of the, uh, Nicholas is a member of the senior management team. So is he a successor to you when, you know, it doesn't sound like it's coming anytime soon, but when you do decide uh, you've had enough? Um, well, I hope he would be, but we've got other people who could equally be a successor. And just because it's a family business, it doesn't mean it's in a meritocracy. Okay, so there are other partners, other members of the team. Well, I mean, you know, he's got to compete against you know, like someone like Stuart or someone like Richard, who he works with too. Okay, and just going with those examples you gave, is that typical of the kind of companies you're looking for? Specialist, financially strong, good market position? Basically, the investment philosophy is to figure out which companies are trading a significant discount to their private market value. Um, and... That, by definition, requires you to understand the businesses, the strength of those businesses, how those businesses will react in downturns, um, and the upside potential in them as well. Um, so if you can build in the discount, and if you can also ensure it's not a value trap. So how do we deal with the value trap problem? The value trap problem is dealt with by discussing, going to the other large investors and discussing how they see the company, uh, whether they'd be supportive of creating change. Um, and obviously change obviously is, as I said, focusing the company on uh, being run for the interests of the shareholders or the owners of the business rather than the management. So in doing that, are you an activist? How do you describe yourselves? Are you an activist? Because you like to take big stakes in companies okay. and sit on their boards and influence their but, direction. Okay, I mean, I suppose activism has sort of many connotations to it. There's activism where you're shouting out in public and uh, frankly, I don't actually think that works. So what, what I would describe our activism is talking to other shareholders, trying to create a unity of purpose and then implementing it. So, I mean, for example, um, Elementus is in the news at the moment. I was going to ask you about that. Uh, Elementis, the most Franklin is one of the most passive shareholders in the world, came out and uh, said, you know, this is a disgrace. This company needs to be put up for sale. Uh, the management turned them down. Surprise, surprise. Uh, we're about a 4.3% shareholder between Stuart and ourselves. And we're now talking this is to Stuart all the Wilson, other big... Stuart Wilson, Edadissian. So we're talking to all the other big shareholders. And in fact, both Stuart... Um, and Andy Bruff were in the uh, Times yesterday condemning the board's reaction so far. And coming out in support of its Franklin Mutual, who are the leading... And coming out in support of Franklin Mutual. I don't think... Uh, I, I'm just speculating here. I don't think Franklin Mutual will be the one to call the EGM. So what do you want to... The, the EGM would be called, you'd think, and shareholders would vote on well, forcing through a sale of some Well, kind? I think the answer is that if the board continues to resist the will of the shareholders... Uh, then the EGM will basically take that decision out of the hands of the board and put it into the hands of the shareholders, for which it should belong in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a speciality chemicals company. What's it been doing wrong? It's not hitting its targets? Oh, not well, I mean, if you read promised. the Franklin letter, which is in the public domain, it says it all. But basically, uh, not running, overspending for acquisitions, not running businesses well, concerned that they sold a business too cheaply, and on it goes. 
you know, the company has gone nowhere for years. Uh, you know, the last thing we want is for things to be broken up overnight. Uh, what we want is a you know a careful, detailed plan. How you know over not over a reasonable period of time we can maximize the value of this business. Um, they turned down two or three years ago bids at one sixty. Uh, you know the stocks languished somewhere between one ten and one twenty since then. It was one hundred and ten when Franklin put out their letter. Um, our view is the business is worth at least one sixty and could be closer to two pounds. Okay, so there's plenty to go for there. I mean, picking up on that uh, idea of you sitting on boards, you and Nicholas and, and the other of your colleagues sitting on the well, board and Richard of does too. Richard Savely does too. Absolutely. So uh, at Rockwood Strategic. But um, thinking about, I want to connect through your role on the investment trust because you also slightly unusually take an executive role um, on them. So you're the chief executive, for example, of North Atlantic Small Yes, companies. that goes back to history. Um, basically, in 1982, um, a bank called Investcorp wanted me to go and run their investment division uh, when I was at Sammy Montague um, to get me to stay. Uh, they basically allowed me to create my own fund management business within their business. And because I was given incentive packages, which were tied to remuneration and tied to stock options and performance fees, um, I had to become an executive. And it made complete sense at the time. And, you know, carried on happily ever since. Absolutely. So um, could you tell us a bit more? Yeah. Why is it called North Atlantic? I mean, I've got an idea, but explain to the, 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 the listeners. Oh God, OK, well, I suppose it was originally called Consolidated Venture Trust. That's not very interesting. <laughs> Which is not very interesting. Um, and actually it was originally called Montague Boston, if you go back to its history. So when I took it on in um, 1982, uh, when I actually first run it, actually started running, it was 1981. Uh, the NAV was about 34p, and today it's about 52 pounds. So it hasn't exactly been an unhappy ride for people. Um, but it's investing in both sides of the Atlantic, in the US as well as the UK. both sides of the Atlantic. Uh, much of the US portfolio now is in private companies, uh, and much of the UK portfolio is in, in public companies. Sorry, the UK portfolio is more in public companies, although there is actually a reasonable perspective proportion in unquoteds as well. I did see that yet in the US last about a year ago, you'd uh, invested in a company called SMT Corporation and having my investment trust hat on, I see SMT and think Scottish mortgage and no, 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 obviously <laughs> nothing to do with that. Absolutely them. nothing to do there. That SMT is a very, very good business, a very good business. Defence uh, business. Yes. It basically, it sources components mainly for the defence industry, but much more importantly, it's one of the few companies in the United States who test components for the military to, to make sure those components are not Chinese ripoffs. Right. And that is increasingly becoming a major issue of the Department of Defense of the United States. Um, we The business was bought for about $68 million. And in the year to March next year, uh, I think we're on track to do something like $15 million of EBIT a year. Okay. That sounds... Um... Sounds like it's going places. And looking at uh, North Atlantic and then comparing it with Oryx, they seem to have quite similar portfolios. What What is the difference? I mean, Oryx is a Guernsey investment company okay, rather than so investment trust. Basically, but... the way it works is if North Atlantic can't 
put 15, 20 million pounds in something, it just makes no sense. It's just not enough. So, you know, one of Oryx's victories at the moment is uh, Pendragon, uh, which we bought a big stake on recently when um, Crispin and Odie had to sell the shares of 15p. And now there are three bidders for the thing, and current share price is 33. Three million pounds in North Atlantic wouldn't make a difference, but that added 2% to Oryx. Um, so big holdings in North Atlantic, which wouldn't be in Oryx, would be something like uh, the, the investment in 10 Entertainment Group, uh, recent purchases being Conduit Holdings and TPI Cap. Okay. And um, because it's got that US dimension, um, the annual reports and results um, give a performance benchmark of the S&P 500, which makes no sense at all. It looks like a, bit, a bit strange. Um, wouldn't something like, just because I was looking at Anumis uh, data uh, recently, but uh, wouldn't something like the MSCI Global Small Cap be a bit more relevant? It, 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 it's, it, it's a legacy of history. Okay, so you recognise it's not the best benchmark. Uh, it's not, and we talk, and in the and in our accounts, we did we do mention this is probably not the cleverest index to be in. Okay, I mean, putting yourself against the hardest index in the world to beat is <laughs> challenging, shall we say? Okay, and um, yeah, moving around a bit, but because I was looking at the results, you've got a bit of a poncho on it seems, or you, you, somebody has, for putting um, pictures of battles, sea battles, on uh, on your annual reports and results. Uh, the latest being on the half years, the Battle of Vigo Bay, 1702. Yes. Uh, What's the answer that about? is that I thought most investment trusts' annual reports were boring. So, long, long time ago, I decided let's have a nice picture. Uh, they cost virtually nothing to put on, um, and they, we donate a little bit of money to the National um, Maritime Museum every year. Okay, but why the maritime uh, interest? Does that reflect. <laughs> Oh, oh, no, no, that was because the first one was basically uh, the non-such heading across to America to make money. And we were heading across to America to make money. I see. So, so there was a kind of logic to it. I get you. OK. And uh, getting into some of the detail here, but, you know, uh, North Atlantic holds uh, has a 12 percent or 12 percent of its assets are in, in Oryx. Um, and that's valued at NAV, net asset value, even though the shares in Oryx are trading. At a yeah, because we earn 53% of it and we can cons basically consolidate at the NAV. Okay. But um, the shares of both trusts are trading at you know, big discounts in common with uh, the rest of the sector at the moment. Um, um, yes, what I would say is that the sector's actually got worse. Uh, what our fundamental problem, and one of the reasons I'll be on a programme like this, is these are complicated trusts, what they do. You know, if you look at the list of investments, the average person will go, Christ, I know nothing about most of these companies. Then in North Atlantic themselves, they see all these unquoted, and so they don't know what those do. And there is a monster problem sitting out there in unquoted because all these tech companies that got these insane valuations, the next time they have to do a refinancing, they're having to reduce them. Our companies are really boring. I mean, really, really boring. Um, they make money. They make money. Uh, the last one we just sold did property management. We made three times. Uh, we're about to sell um, a business in the pet food treat business. Uh, and that's going to be a big victory for us. That's three times on quite a lot of money. Uh, we're in negotiations to sell our medical packaging business. Um, and Again, these, it's the third largest medical packaging business in the United Kingdom. And these private equity positions, they are you hold them through other funds. We hold with well, it's held both ways to add to the complications. Okay, so they're held through the funds, which we own twenty five percent of. 
We then hold them directly. So coming like source bioscience is held in both. And uh, that was something that was basically delisted by us last year, but we actually paid a premium to the market to complete the delisting. And it's a three to five year breakup um, with the first asset expected to go quite soon, which result in a return of capital to us. Um, so they're all real businesses. They all make money. Uh, and they're, they're, we hold them at valuations you can understand. And all the so time, for, for example, a CC, a... for example, if it was that, the, the pet food business, if it was to be sold, we've already doubled the valuation, but we, it would be another 50% markup. So you haven't seen write downs on that amongst unquoted businesses because there's been no. lots of fears no. amongst investors that that's what's going to happen in private equity. Not a single one. I mean, I'll give you some examples of uh, ones that we hold directly ourselves, which ones we just uh, increased in value. We have a big stake in a company called Performance Chemicals, which is a Midland based oil service company. Midland, Texas, by the way, <laughs> oil service company. Um, it's got about five million in cash. It'll make, it's made about 5 million in the year that's just finishing, expected to do six next year. And we're still only valuing that 25 million. Um, another one is Spring, which is basically a UK pharma company. Uh, that's valued at the moment about 50, probably 60 million. Um, it's paying down debt very rapidly. So in 12 months, we'd expect the debt to be down to uh, 48 million, in fact, basically eliminated. Um, the company last year did 12 million of EBITDA. So we're only valuing it five times. We were originally more concerned that this year we'd go backwards because last year was a very good year, but this year started way better than budget. Um, so, you know, you're heading towards a four times multiple. And, you know, when these businesses are sold, they're worth eight. So you're finding cheap businesses, good businesses, and you're getting them to a proper valuation what, what's your okay, so more can, broadly and i can explain that okay but what's your view of the state of the uk smaller companies market when trusts like your, yourselves and others are on wide discounts and investors are pulling out of um okay open-ended com small company funds right can i just come to that question the reason why you can buy these private companies so cheaply is they're small what happens in private equity is that firms that aren't broadly based and just private equity based want to go into the middle market because they want the fees. We've never really increased the size of our funds over the last 20 years. We've done it by increasing by inflation and pretty well that's it. So we're still absolutely focused on where we made the money, where so many firms are now trying to play in a marketplace where they've never played before. Going back to the um, smaller company marketplace, the there's a whole mixture of problems that are sitting out there. Uh, the first, which people don't really talk about, is that many of these defined benefit pension fund schemes are now, courtesy of interest rates, starting to move into surplus. So the fund manager wakes up one day and nothing to do with performance, but he's just had his fund redeemed because they want to put it into some sort of deal with Phoenix or Just or Aviva or whoever it is. So they're locking the down their liabilities and they stop investing. Correct. The second problem you've got in this by the same genre is that the trustees of these funds are effectively very risk adverse. 
And the reason why they're risk adverse is that if they take an undue degree of risk and it fails, they can be held personally liable. So the average trustee says, it's a company's problem to fund this, not mine. I have no incentive to try and, well, he wants to improve the performance, but he has no incentive to take risk to improve the performance. So you've got that whole bunch of risks. So institutions are disinvesting from UK equities generally rather than, and not just the small well, companies, but it's particularly uh, acute at that Well, end. it's more acute when you get the small company end because there's less liquidity. The next thing you've then got is uh, the problem of uh, after Woodford, the FCA is interested in how long it takes a fund to liquidate itself. And give investors their, their money, money back. back. So, you know, it's very difficult if you've got some very illiquid investments sitting out there, which on normal turnover can take two years to liquidate. So that's sort of another problem that's sitting there. And then the final problem that's sitting there is there's just been mass redemptions across the, the board. So if you look back at what's happening in the IFA industry at the moment is the clients are saying, I want to sell my investments because I want to pay off my mortgage. I don't want to put money in my ISA this year because I want to pay off my mortgage or I can get 6% from the UK government or 6.2% from the UK government completely risk-free. Why do I want to take the risk? When I look at the AIM market, for example, which is down another 20% this year. And what's your answer to them then? There isn't an answer. The, the mansion house thing, I suppose, will do something, and Phoenix, for sure, will do something. In terms of encouraging investors back into the UK back market? Into the, back into the market. Uh, what our job is to take advantage of this opportunity, use the fact that we have fixed capital, buy these cheap equities, and then figure out how to create value from there. Absolutely. Well, I was wondering if you were showing a little bit of risk aversion yourself, and I'm sure you're not. But what I was going to get round to is that you know North Atlantic uh, Trust has got, uh, according to the half-year results, 107 million pounds of, of cash, which yep. I think you've gathered from you know very profitable bids and 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 uh, and, and investments going well. But um, yeah, that's about 15% of net assets. Why aren't you um, redeploying that money? Okay. Well, the first point is, and it's not a lot of money is that there's still commitments to the private equity fund at that stage of about 50, oh, hang on, uh, no, no, it's not true, 10 or 11 million pounds. So it it's not as good as it looks. Um, the second aspect is that we had this huge victory in Orgean, which dumped this a huge amount of money onto us. That was two years ago. Uh, waste yeah. processing company. Yeah, huge bid. Correct. Uh, and 390 million pounds in cash for its investors. Yeah, and we owned just under 30% of it across Oryx and other funds. So, and frankly, we've been looking at the macros that are sitting out there. And, you know, it's hard to be optimistic. Uh, you know, inflation is, right, uh, is, is, I think, more embedded than people think. Uh, yes, interest rates probably won't go up much more, but we certainly don't expect them to go down much either. Um, and, you know, sitting and waiting sometimes is the right thing to do. I mean, there's many times we've been 100% invested, but this isn't an environment to do it. Now, do you think there could be a further, you know, crash or setback in the market? Are you waiting for prices to get even cheaper? UK equities are cheap. The risk is what happens in the United States where they're less cheap. Um, and then, you know, if you start looking at world trade, uh, the problems sitting in China are just getting worse and worse.
Um, and I think people are going to be surprised at the mess that China could turn into over the next 10 years or so. And that has a you know, direct knock-on effect for, for your area in, um, in, in small companies. Well, it doesn't have, it has a macro impact on everything because, you know, ships will go up and down with the tide, don't they? So have you done this kind of, um, yeah, have you been this high in cash before in, in, in your years running money? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we went into 1987 with a lot of cash. Uh, thank God. Um, it didn't look good at one stage. We had also a lot of cash uh, by April 2000. I mean, a lot. In fact, even more than we do Again, today. Again, well-timed. As a, as a percentage of the fund. So if you're right, then that is a prudent thing to be doing. What, what areas might you redeploy the money in when the, when the time is right or conditions improve slightly? What we're doing now is Oryx is making a number of small investments. The way it works, really simple, is we get to know a company in Oryx, and when North Atlantic buys it, uh, people got to know we're on the register. So... Um, we have a shopping list. Uh, you know, there's something I'm bidding on at the moment, which would be quite a lot of money, but they don't seem to want within the spread and I'm not going to pay out, outside it because I know I'm the only buyer. Right. So you're, you're a canny buyer and, and yeah. you don't buy if the price isn't right. Correct. Okay. Um, and when do you think you're cautious? You might turn more positive. It sounds like you're waiting for some big things to, to improve in the, in the global economy. Okay, well, um, you know, things constantly change. So you see that level of cash, but I know we're doing a really big and really good deal in the United States at the moment, uh, which is a business which uh, makes food ingredients. Uh, they're very specialist food ingredients with massive market shares into the cheese industry. And then it has a food manufacturing and a food, uh, yes, yeah, a food manufacturing business as well. Um, you know, the pallet's probability is we're going to put 20 million into that. So that will eat into that pile. Yeah. So there are things going on. And, uh, and, and, but and the trouble is it goes both ways. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Harvard Private Equity is going to spew out probably 25 million of cash soon. Is that but, because it's selling stakes yes. in these unquoted companies? Yes. But then again, we're starting six. And we've already got the first deal lined up for six. And that's going to require me to put in another 20 million pounds. So... <laughs> Having a healthy cash balance, if you're running investment trusts, you can't go out and ask your investors for more cash and not more cash is coming in. So you need to have a strong cash balance. If, if Because we're kind of like running a mini conglomerate. We have to know how the cash flows work across. And on top of it, um, as you'll see, we constantly keep nibbling buying our own stock back. Which is making a good upset. return at 31% discount. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's it has to compete with the other uses of the funds, though. If I think I can make three times on a deal, I'm not going to spend that money buying the stock back. But yes, it's, it's, a, it's a constant thing. And indeed, uh, one of the things that we've discussed with the board is that uh, if I'm no longer running North Atlantic, uh, the trust uh, will prioritize buying stock back as long as it's at a discount over making new investments in the public marketplace, not the private marketplace. Okay. And so uh, just sort of last, we're getting towards the end of our time and last sort of question, really. So it sounds like you're still quite motivated, but what, yeah, what is driving you on to sort of redeploy this money and, and, and get good returns? 
well, very simplistically, if you take the NAV, I've got personally got two, well, the family and I've got 210 million pounds in North Atlantic. It doesn't take a genius to work out that I want to improve that value over time. And if you got narrowed the discount, if that discount disappeared, that would be... Well, no, that, that doesn't change the 210 million because that's at NAV. Right. So I am very motivated to increase um, the overall assets of the fund through capital appreciation. We are never going to issue a share. That's out of the question. Okay. So um, difficult times, but for a long-term investor, what's your view on your sector? What do you say to people oh. who may be a bit discouraged by some of the things you've been saying? Well, I hope they haven't been discouraged because I've tried to say there's a lot of value sitting there. Yeah. Uh, people like us are determined to get that value. I mean, I think if you look, for example, when I went on the board of Curtis Banks, uh, you know, the uh, company was up for sale. Self-invested personal pension provider. <laughs> Correct, yes. I mean, the company's put up for sale within three months. Um, within nine or eight months, we had a bid. It's taken a bit longer to close it than I would hope, but that happens in October. Right. So watch and wait, because uh, when uh, when you're involved or when your team's involved, things seem to happen. That would be a good message. Okay. Let's leave it there for now, Chris, but thanks very much for your time. It's great to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Indeed. 